Maybe you've heard this story before. A man was stranded on an island there by himself for several years. And finally, after years and years, uh, he was located. And people came to the island. And, and as they came, came up on the island, he was showing them around. And he showed them the hut that he had built, the house that he had built. And about 50 yards or so from his house was a building. And he said, that is where I go to church. And then one of the men said, well, what's that building? It was kind of a dilapidated-looking building. And he said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. Now, if you know anything about church, you know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes churches have trouble and they fight over the silliest of things. I've heard of churches splitting over the location of a piano bench. Um, Heard of a fight breaking out at a church fellowship because two ladies started arguing about whether fruit salad was better made with Cool Whip or with real whipped cream. How do you deal with trouble in the church? How how do you deal with, with trouble within the church? How do you achieve unity within a church family? Those are the things we're going to think about this morning as we look in Philippians chapter 2. Paul wrote this church to the letter, uh, to the, to the church at Philippi, uh, to encourage them to remain faithful in the Lord and, and to continue growing. Uh, Clearly, there were some challenges that, that this church faced, and one of the challenges must have been dealing with issues of disunity and, and division. Let's look together at Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, this text teaches that you should pursue unity by loving others as God has loved you. You should pursue unity by loving others as God has loved you. How do we pursue unity? What does this look like? Well, clearly, as you look at the text that that we are uh, considering today, it's clear that all believers are meant to to be in a local church, to to be a part of a local church family. You see, the Lord expected that His followers would not just be His followers in the sense that everyone's a part of the church who knows Christ, but He expected that His followers would actually be a part of a local church. You can see that in Matthew chapter 18, for example, and all throughout the New Testament, you're going to see that the expectation is that a person who knows Jesus is united in a church family. And we're, we're going to see that, of course, uh, throughout the book of Philippians. But look there in verse 1. Paul makes all these statements using the word if. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any mercy. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, make my joy complete by having the same mind, by thinking the same way. What does Paul mean using all of these if statements? Well, remember, he's writing to believers. So he's writing to people who know Jesus, who have received the Holy Spirit. Once we come to know Jesus, we know the Holy Spirit comes to indwell within us. And so he's writing to people who are saved, people who have known the encouragement of Christ, people who have known the consolation or comfort that he brings, people who have known the fellowship of the Spirit. So Paul's using the word if here, not because it might be true or it might not be true, but he's using the word if to try to point to the logical 
logical conclusion. That is to say, because you have known God's love, because you've known his amazing love, then this ought to be true of you. That's what Paul is saying. So according to verse 1, how do we pursue unity? We pursue unity by reflecting on the love that God has shown. So reflect on the love that God has shown you. Paul says, God has given you so much. You also should love others in that way. Now, do you remember the movie Lion King? There was a point at which Simba was really troubled, and he basically just sort of checks out. And a friend of his leads him to to the water, and he says to Simba, look into the water. And Simba looks into the water, and suddenly a vision of Simba's father appears. And his father told him, Simba, you have forgotten who you are, and so you have forgotten me. And his father told him, remember who you are. You are my son. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians here. Remember what you've been shown. Remember the kind of love that you've known through through Christ, through the Spirit, through God's mercy. Remember that kind of love. And that, that focus should motivate you to love others with the same kind of love. That should push you to to want to achieve unity and to want to work toward unity. So let's think about this in our lives. Think about the ways that God has cared for you. Think about the ways that God has ministered to you, that, that he's helped you, that he has been there for you. Has he forgiven you and shown you mercy? Have you known the encouragement that comes from walking with Christ? And what I mean by that is you've known in difficult situations that the Lord was right there with you, and you've gained strength from that. You've had the fellowship of the Spirit. You've known that the Spirit dwells within you and that He ministers to you. You've had His consolation, His comfort in in hard times. And so, think of all the riches of knowing the Lord and let that motivate you to, to show others that kind of love. How could you not give that kind of love to others? That's that's what Paul is saying. Next, let the love that you've been shown warm your heart to others, even others maybe who you would naturally not enjoy or that that you wouldn't like. Let let the kind of love that, that God has shown you, the kind of care that he's shown you, help you to love others, to warm your hearts toward others. Other people who aren't perfect, other people who drop the ball, other people who sin. Those kind of people. Wait a minute, that's us, isn't it? That's all of us. In other words, when you're having trouble loving somebody, remind yourself of the beautiful fact that God has loved you. A sinner too. A person who's dropped the ball too. So to pursue unity, reflect on the love that God has shown you. How else can we pursue unity? Well, let's look in verse 2. Paul says here, because of the great love you've been shown, verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, Paul says to the church at Philippi, if you want to make my joy full, if you want to fill my heart with joy, then you guys work together and become a team. Be unified. That will, that will fill me with so much joy. 
Now, what was going on in the Philippian church? We don't know exactly. We do know that in Philippians 4, chapter 2, Paul refers to a couple of ladies who had clearly been at each other's throat. So maybe, maybe there were sort of factions, one group of people who was following this lady and another group that was kind of on uh, board with this uh, lady. And Paul says, those two women, they need, to, they need to work things out. They need to agree together in the Lord. So, so we don't know exactly what was happening, but one thing's clear. The Philippian church was a great church, but there was some division. There was some trouble. And so as we look in verse 2, he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. What does he mean? Well, he's just told us in verse 1 how God has shown us this great love. And he says, I want you to think the same way. I want you, the, the way that God has loved you and cared for you and ministered to you, that's how I want you to act with one another. And he goes on to say to have the very same love. So how do we love people? We love them with the same love that God has loved us with. Does God love you, warts and all? Friend, if you're in Christ, the answer to that is yes. And the answer is praise God that, 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 that He loves us even though we, we sin, even though we mess up, even though we drop the ball all the time. He keeps loving us. What an amazing love. And yet, that's the exact same love that Paul wants the Philippian church to extend to one another. That kind of love. He, he continues there in verse 2. Being united in spirit, intent on purpose. Well, what is the mission of the church or the, purpose, the ultimate purpose of the church is to glorify God. What's the church's mission? It's to make disciples. So, so a church is meant to, to glorify God by, by making disciples. That was clearly the intent of the Philippian church. They wanted to see God honored. They wanted to see people come to know Jesus and lives changed and the gospel spread. They were, they were to be intent, Paul says, on this one purpose. This one intent, this one goal. They were to be one soul, unified, together focusing on the glory of God and the mission of making disciples. So how do we pursue unity? According to verse 2, set your heart on the achievement of unity. Set your heart on the achievement of unity. Now, some of you this year have probably made it your goal to get out of debt. You've said, 2018 is the year I am getting out of debt. It's the year we're going we're gonna to wipe the slate clean. And a husband and wife, if they're going to work together to get out of debt, they've got to be on the same page. The husband and the wife have to be working hard toward that goal of, of being out of debt. If one of the two isn't committed to the goal, it's just not going to work. It, it's not going to happen. And unity in the church is like that. Everybody has to make it a goal and work toward that goal. We have to work toward unity. Unity doesn't happen naturally. Why doesn't unity happen naturally? Because all of us sin, because all of us have a tendency to be selfish. So unity is something that's achieved. It's achieved not in our own strength, ultimately. It's achieved by God's grace with his help. But it's something that we, that we strive toward and work toward. And that's what Paul's saying here. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Make it your goal to have one heart one purpose, committed together for the glory of God. So work toward unity. What does this look like in our lives? It means that we genuinely love other believers. We genuinely love other believers within the church. We, we strive to, to really show others love. We may not agree on everything. Now, matters of core 
Christian teaching, we can't compromise. We, we know that. The, 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 the central teachings of Christianity, there won't be discussion about those things. We're going to stand firm on those things. But we may disagree on secondary issues. We may disagree about how this ought to work or that ought to work. But the key is that we continue to love. We may have difficulties, but love leads the way. We want to love like Christ has loved us. So ask God to help you love others the way he loves them. Next, if if you want to put this into practice in your life, pour your life into the mission that God has given to the church. Pour your life into the mission that that God has given into the church to to see God glorified, to, to see disciples made. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, you're going to see that within a church family, every person has certain spiritual gifts, certain strengths that God has given them and spiritual abilities that God has given them. The goal of those gifts is that the whole body might be strengthened toward its mission of making Christ known, its purpose of glorifying God. So as you think about a church, it's not that we're all the same. It's that we're all committed to the same thing. It's not that we're all the same. It's that we're all committed to the same thing. It's that we're driving together, linking hands together for God's glory, for disciples to be made. So to pursue unity, set your heart on achieving unity. Make that your goal, your focus, to work together for the unity of the church. How else do we pursue unity? Let's look in verse 3. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. So what we see here is that if you want to have a church family that's unified, that's one, these are things that are going to work against it. If somebody is having selfish ambition, well, that's going to, that's going to mess up unity. Well, what does it mean to have selfish ambition? It means to say, I want my way. Look, I like this and I want this. This is what I want. This is my ambition. Now, again, we're not talking about essentials of the faith. We must stand on the core teachings of the faith. We're talking about preference. We're talking about what advances my agenda. Recognize that that kind of selfish ambition prevents a church from being a family. Not only selfish ambition, but also, the scriptures say here, conceit. What's conceit? Well, it's arrogance. It's thinking you're big stuff. If you think you're big stuff, then of course, how are you going to listen to the other people? All of those folk down there, you know, what, what do they have to say? What does it matter? You're, you're the one that really matters after all. Your voice is the one that ought to be heard. There's no place for that. If there's going to be unity in a church, not selfish ambition, not conceit. Those are not okay among the people of God. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. So inevitably, we get a quick snapshot of what's happening in the Philippian church. There must have been someone there and probably not just one someone, but a few someones, maybe a lot of someones, who thought they were big stuff or who had their own personal agenda that they were trying to drive home and trying to force and to push. And Paul says to them, friends, that's not the way you build the unity of the church. It's not the way that you help the church achieve the mission. It's not the way that you have one purpose, one intent, one focus. He goes on to say in verse 3, but in humility... In humility, consider others better than yourselves. What is humility? Well, humility is having the right view of yourself. And it's having the right view of yourself in terms of your relation to God. 
So humility is me comparing myself or, or looking at myself as God sees me. How does God see me? He sees me as a fellow who has sinned and dropped the ball, but who has been rescued by the Son. So when I begin to think, oh man, Lonnie, you're, you're pretty big stuff. You've got, your, you've got your stuff together. You're a great guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Humility reminds me, no, you're not. You've been shown grace in Christ. And if you've got anything together, it's not because you're big stuff. It's because he's big stuff. It's because he's good. It's because he's been at work in your life and he's shown you mercy and he's, and he's worked in your heart and helped you to change. So humility is the right view of ourselves. It's a recognition that God is great. That we're just as servants. And servants by mercy, by grace. So he says in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now isn't this counterintuitive? Don't we naturally want people to think, more of us. We want to promote ourselves. And yet Paul says if a church is going to be together, if a church is going to be one, well, the people in the church are going to have to try to look out for the interests of others. They're going to have to consider others as more important to to make others more important. In other words, instead of me trying to, to make sure I get my agenda and my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up and go, you know what? Maybe there's something here for, for me to think through. Maybe I want to help others. I want to advance others. Now, ultimately, when we come to church, we don't come to get our own. We, we come that God might be glorified and that the mission might be furthered. So all of this talk of personal agenda is ridiculous in the family of God. It's not right. And so, so we want to consider others as more important. We want to walk in humility. A great example of this, I, I came across the story of a pastor who uh, had a church that a Chick-fil-A was being built nearby, and he happened to have the opportunity to hang out with the, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy. And they were together at that Chick-fil-A site, and they were looking at it. Dan Cathy was showing them around. It was, it was under construction. He said that it, it came lunch, and they were hungry, and there just happened to be a Taco Bell right there. And so they, they went into the Taco Bell. Their hands were dirty. And they went into the restroom. They both washed their hands. And, and the pastor said that the sinks were just filthy. And he said, after they washed their hands, Dan Cathy got paper towels and just wiped the sinks down in that Taco Bell. And he said, it blew me away. The CEO of Chick-fil-A was wiping the sinks of one of his competitors. There's a picture of humility. It's a picture of humility. And that is how the Lord calls us to walk, not to look at your, yourself as if you're something, but to look to the needs of others. Wipe the sink out. Move on. Walk in humility. Put others ahead of yourselves. Now let's think about what this looks like in our lives as we try to put this into practice. First, we need to have the right evaluation of ourselves. That means recognize that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. We're all on a level playing field. There's not one of us who's not a sinner desperately in need of the grace of God. So now suddenly we're all at the very same place. That's where we need to live, right there. No one better, no one less. All standing before God, desperate for His grace. Now, now Paul modeled this in Ephesians 3.8. Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. So Paul modeled what he said. He, he understood who he was, that he wasn't something big. 
He wanted God to be glorified, not, not himself. So look at yourself as a sinner who's been marvelous, marvelously saved by a great and amazing God. Then we'll be on the right playing field. Don't try to promote yourself or your personal agenda. So, so when you, you come into the church, don't say, well, hey, I want it this way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push, I'm going to make sure I get my way. And that's counter to building the unity of the church family. If everybody's focused on themselves, how on earth can unity happen? And the answer for Paul is that it can't. It, it can't happen. Seeking honor and seeking recognition does not promote unity in the church. And I think this really challenges us today in terms of social media because social media so often causes us to want to try to find ways to promote ourselves, to kind of carefully curate kind of an image of of who we are and how our life is great and we have everything together. I think we have to be really careful with those those things, that that we don't find ourselves kind of lured into that trap of of self-promotion. It's not honoring to God. It doesn't bring Him glory. Now, I'm sure your kids aren't like this, but sometimes my kids, when they want something, will ask me a thousand times, Daddy, can I have X? Hold on, not right now. Daddy, can I have X? Oh, it's going to be just a little bit. Daddy, can I have... Okay, you've asked me a thousand times. It's going to be just a little bit. You know what? Sometimes we have the very same attitude when it comes to church. We come to church and we want our way. Hey, I I want this and it ought to be that. Should be this. Come on. This needs to be my way. But friends, it should not be that way among the family of God. Yes, we're committed to the truths of Scripture. There's no doubt about that. But we flex otherwise. We work together otherwise. We we work toward compromise in in, in the right way, in the proper way. We, We work together to be a family. No one trying to shove their agenda, their their personal perspective. But no, we we join together. We seek to show humility. So when we see someone in the church whose attitude is, hey, I want my way, I want my pet project, I want this or I want that, we can be assured. We can be assured that that's not the way God would have us walk. It's just, it's not his plan. It's not going to foster the kind of unity that will help the church achieve its mission of glorifying God and of making disciples. So, uh, another way to put this into practice is esteem others and encourage others. What does Paul say there at the end of uh, verse 3? He says, make others more important than yourself. So look for other ways to to lift others up, to to encourage others. In Romans 12.10, Paul put it this way, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. So bless other people and honor other people. What, what freedom when we can get our eyes off of ourselves and what we want and start looking out for other people? There's a freedom there. That's a freedom that, that God wants us to walk in. It's not something that we do naturally. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives. So to pursue unity, walk in humility. How else do we pursue unity? Well, let's look in verse 4. Paul says, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it's clear that all of us have got to take care of ourselves. We can't just ignore our own needs. We've we've got to be taken care of. But Paul says, don't make your focus just your own needs. No, look out 
for ways that you can help others and serve others and, and minister to the needs of others. How can, how can you do that, Paul, Paul asks. So according to verse 4, how do we pursue unity? Well, we serve others. We, we look for ways to benefit and help others. And maybe you saw this story, but Cole Hamels, the pitcher for the Texas Rangers, recently donated, along with his wife, a $10 million home. Uh, it was a home uh, for a camp, a camp that, that ministered to kids with special needs and, and kids who were chronically ill. What an awesome example of putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. He, he donated this, this huge home, all this land, this amazing space. Now, most of us aren't going to serve others by donating a $10 million home. That's just not realistic. But friends, the principle of serving others, the principle of caring for others, the principle of ministering to others in a thousand different ways, every one of us can put into practice every single day. And Paul said, this is how it's supposed to be in the church. Brothers and sisters are supposed to be ministering to each other, caring for one another. How do we do this? Well, maybe we see someone who seems to be hurting and we, we just put our arm around them and say, I want you to know I care about you. If you need to talk, I'm here. Or friend, could I pray for you? You've been on my heart. Or hey, I, I hear that, that this has been going on in your life. Could I, could I do something to help? Maybe I could just mow the yard. Would that, would that help? Could I do that? You see, we, we look for practical ways to, to minister to others, to, to serve others, to meet real needs. This is how it's supposed to operate amongst the family of God. This picture of unity where we're serving others, we're, we're humble, we're, we're loving other people. So look for ways to meet the needs of others. Look for ways to lay aside your own focus on yourself and to care and minister for others. This builds the unity of, of a faith family. And ask the question, how can I bend and how can I flex for the good of others instead of for the good of myself? Now, scientists and military experts talk about a blast radius for bombs. So, so a bomb has a particular blast radius, the source of the bomb, the, the area that's affected by the explosion. And so this bomb may have a blast radius of a mile and another of, of several miles. Th- those sorts of, uh, of, of things are discussed. Well, one writer suggested that churches ought to have a love radius. In a sense, he was saying that because of the way believers loved one another because of the power of that example. And we see Jesus talk about that even in John 13, verse 34 and 35, because of the way a church loves one another, that it ought to have an impact on the surrounding community. So so as we think about our own context, because of what happens here amongst those people who who have planted their lives in First Baptist Church Uvalde, because of the love that you have here, that we have for one another, the people out there ought to be impacted. As, as they see us loving each other and as they see us caring and ministering and, and putting others ahead of ourselves, well, that ought to have a great impact. Pe- people ought to say, now, wait a minute, what's the cause of that? Because that's not normal. That's something unique. That's something special. Well, what is it? And it brings people to an interest of the gospel because when we love each other like this, it puts the gospel on display. It reveals who Jesus is. 
He reveals how He changes lives. What kind of an impact should our love for one another, our oneness for one another have in this surrounding community? It ought to be extensive. It ought to be extensive as we, as we love one another and we put our focus on the mission and we're serving together and working together for the furtherance of the mission, then people are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to become disciples. Families are going to be changed. Oh, disciples are going to be made. Missionaries are going to be sent. Oh, prayers are going to be prayed that, that are, that are life-changing. Oh, friends, let's join together around the things that really matter. Let's be unified. Let's be unified around the mission that God has given us. So pursue unity by loving others as God has loved you. So believer, if you're you're a Christian here today, what, what change do you need to make? Have you been sort of kind of trying to promote your, your, own, your own way? Maybe you need to back up a little bit. Maybe you need to say, Lord, help my focus not to be so much on myself and what I want, but, but on serving others and, and benefiting others. Ask the Lord to give you a heart that longs to see us be one, that longs to see us united around the mission that he's given us that we might accomplish his glorious purpose. And if you're not a part of a church family, that's the question that I have for you today. Can you read this book? Can you read this book and faithfully remain on the outskirts of a church community? Can you do that? Friend, if you take this word seriously, I don't think you can. So I want to urge you, if you're, if you're a believer but you've never become a part of a, a local church, I think that may be the next step for you. And we, would, we would love to have you here. Maybe you feel like the Lord's leading you somewhere else. Wherever the Lord would have you be, as long as it's a faithful Bible-believing church, we urge you, jump in. Jump in. That, that may be the next step for you. And still, there are those here today who this talk of a faith family sounds odd. Well, see, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, that you become part of God's family, that you, be, you become one of his children. And God's plan is for every one of his children to, to be a part of a, a faith family. But the question at hand right now is this, are you one of his children? And if you're not, there's a, there's a way to become one of his children. What, what happened? God loved so much that he sent his son to this earth and Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. And then he was nailed to a cross and when he was on the cross, he took the punishment for all the sin that I've done and that you've done. He took it upon himself. And he made a way for your sins to be completely wiped clean. For every sin to be forgiven. Isn't that an amazing love? And he invites you to come. Any who will come, he invites to come. Today, will will you come? Will you become one of his children? Will you become a part of his family? All, All you have to do is say to him, God, I'm tired of going my own way. I believe in Jesus and I'm committing to follow him. And the Bible says that when you call out to the Lord like that, he saves you and he'll never, ever let you go. Join me in prayer.